This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. Our results indicated that obese and morbidly obese truck drivers had a 3.58 and 4.33 times greater odds of having a confirmed or probable CRC diagnosis, which corresponds with you know, prior literature demonstrating the positive association between obesity and CRC and how obesity can increase the risk of colorectal cancer by roughly 19%. And since obesity is twice as high among truck drivers compared with the overall U.S. labor force, these results are especially noteworthy. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Weinstein. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ellen Brooks, a program manager in the Men's Health Inequities Research Lab at the University of Utah School of Medicine. She recently co-authored a study examining the colorectal cancer rate amongst long-haul truckers, and will share with us some especially interesting findings related to that work. Ellen, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, you know, we always sort of start. Everybody kind of know wants to know where we, you know, where we came from and how we got to where we are. When did you? When did you realize that you wanted to focus on public health and research into healthcare issues? My interest for public health and health disparities, especially, began in my senior year at Penn State when I was working in the physical activity and public health research lab. That was my first venture into the realm of public health. And during my time in the lab, I was able to work on my own research study that focused on the increased stress and depression experienced among college-aged women in the LGBTQ community. And working on that project really increased my awareness of how certain populations can experience poor health outcomes, which then pushed me towards obtaining my master's in public health at the University of Utah, which I will actually be completing soon, so that's very exciting. Um, and then when the opportunity arose to work with Dr. Charles Rogers in his Men's Health Inequities Research Lab while working towards my MPH, I knew it would provide me with excellent experience in not only better understanding health disparities, but in seeking to address them as well, particularly regarding colorectal cancer or CRC among African American and Black men, but also among other populations facing health inequities as well. Yeah, I was wondering, how did, how did you and your colleagues decide to sort of study long-haul truckers as a sort of unique population of uh, people? Because I imagine it is mostly men, uh, but uh, what was there anything in particular that stuck out? Well, kind of as I mentioned, we mainly focus on CRC as it relates to African-American and Black men, but we also have a great interest in looking at other socially vulnerable populations. And so when considering the risk factors associated with CRC outlined by the American Cancer Society, which include heavy alcohol consumption, obesity, high intake of processed foods and red meat, tobacco use, and a sedentary lifestyle, we were left wondering about the intersection between long-haul truck driving and CRC prevalence. 
because with the exception of alcohol consumption, truck drivers have higher rates of virtually all of these risk factors compared to the general U.S. population and are estimated to live up to 16 years less than the general population as well. And to our knowledge, there really were no other studies systematically investigating these health risk factors associated with long-haul trucking and CRC in the U.S. And so we aimed to conduct our study to bring awareness to these issues that may be increasing their risk for a preventable, beatable, and um, treatable cancer. That's uh, interesting. How, how did you contact a population of long-haul truckers? Because they're, they're all over the place. Um, well, how did you conduct the study, and, and what were the findings that you felt were really sort of made them stick out? Well, commercial truck drivers require medical certification exams to obtain and maintain their license. So for this study, we utilize the commercial driver medical exam database that compiles all of these medical certification decisions for long-haul drivers across all 48 contiguous states. So from that database, we were able to analyze data on demographics, medical history, such as neurological problems, medications, sleep disorders, as well as other health indicators, such as driver's height, weight, blood pressure, heart rate, among others. And you know, while this database does not provide a specific question regarding a CRC diagnosis, we were able to use text recognition to identify specific terms in the notes or comments indicating a definite or probable CRC diagnosis. And of the nearly 48,000 drivers in the database, like you mentioned, 95% were male with a mean age of 49. And you know, of those 48,000, 26 individuals had confirmed CRC diagnosis, and an additional 30 had a probable CRC diagnosis based on their medical notes. And so importantly, our results indicated that obese and morbidly obese truck drivers had a 3.58 and 4.33 times greater odds of having a confirmed or probable CRC diagnosis, which corresponds with you know, prior literature demonstrating the positive association between obesity and CRC and how obesity can increase the risk of colorectal cancer by roughly 19%. And since obesity is twice as high among truck drivers compared with the overall U.S. labor force, these results are especially noteworthy. So so this is certainly a population with a lot of the risk factors, risk factors that have been identified before, but this is a population that has quite a confluence of multiple risk factors. Um, I've noticed in some of the other abstracts and stuff that you've written, you talk about this uh, masculinity barriers to medical care. Was there a way to assess this population as to how they obtain their health care? Obviously, they're required to do certain things to get their license, but just in general, is this a population that is more resistant to health care intervention than other populations? I think that's a very good question. I think that that is something that should be looked into further. I think that's the ne- the next step in terms of research that should be done. I think our study is a good a good study to open the door into this population noting that colorectal cancer could be a significant issue among this population and what do those barriers look like? For this population, because we we might have an idea in terms of the risk factors, but 
really on a more granular level, what what do those barriers for them look like in terms of maybe it is masculinity barriers. And so the next step is to is to maybe talk to individuals among this population and gain a better idea of their their lived experience and what that looks like for them. Yeah, very interesting. Um, obviously, we're, we're, we know that there are other segments of the population that have very poor screening habits for colorectal cancer and very poor uh, medical care in general. Um, sometimes we think it's access, um, and there are lots of physician groups working on ways to improve access. But just because you create the access doesn't mean that people will walk through the door. Um, any any notion in your research that you've done in the past about how to approach populations that seem to be resistant to just getting medical care? Any any prior experience or studies with that? In our in our research analyzing you know, masculinity barriers to medical care among African-American and Black men, one of the most important things is is understanding their perspective and understanding the barriers that they, they do experience. And then once you have a better understanding of that, then developing interventions and awareness campaigns based off of off of that information. For example, in our Cutting CRC study that we have going on, which is a barbershop-based intervention on masculinity barriers to medical care and CRC screening uptake among African-American men across three states, including Minnesota, Ohio, and Utah. Through information gathered in focus groups, Dr. Rogers was able to develop this scale that you mentioned, the Masculinity Barriers to Medical Care scale, that we've used to collect data from various other male populations and and then use that to create interventions that just raise awareness in terms of how do we, for example, with masculinity barriers, how do we address the fear of being perceived as gay, of... of, um, of obtaining a colonoscopy in terms of, well, maybe more information on a colonoscopy and what the prep looks like and what the procedure is like, maybe breaking down those barriers will help. I think those are the kind of things that, um, again, most gastroenterologists are familiar with the risk factors. It's, you know, how to approach certain populations. What's the, what's the best way to um, reach them so that they receive medical care and is there a format or, or form or whether it's uh, written or uh, video YouTube what you know what what helps people get through the door to actually proceed with screening you know one of our co-authors dr. Fola May at the UCLA is a leader in the GI space and helped provide insight into some recommendations including the importance of, like I mentioned earlier, increased awareness and education of early detection screening. Um, Due to the prevalence of obesity among this population, it's also important to consider interventions aimed at reducing the impact of obesity and how that can have impacts on CRC. This is a really unique population and due to their occupation, there are likely barriers to receiving health care. And so I think this outlines the importance of of perhaps a next step in terms of 
getting in touch with people who are of this population that experience CRC and learning more about their opinion on how to address these barriers. I think that's a really key aspect of conducting research among specific populations is understanding what they see as the biggest barriers. Because like I said before, we might have an idea, but they might have a better idea of how to, you know, yeah, approach a, that. I, I, yeah, I think what you're saying is, is uh, as physicians, it's very important to put yourself in their shoes. You know, look at it from the way they're looking at it. Um, very easy for us to sit on the perch and say, uh, you know, of course you're going to have a colonoscopy because that we know that that's the best way to screen for colon cancer. Uh, however, there are reasons that people will not necessarily listen to that evidence-based science. You have to put yourself in their shoes. They're, they're looking at it differently. Um, right. So you're finishing up this research at Utah. Where do you go next? Where, where, what's your next... What's your dream position after this? Oh man, that is that is a big question. I actually accepted a full-time position at the Veterans Affairs Hospital here in Salt Lake City in clinical trial research, which is very exciting. Um, it's kind of a it, research can't isn't quite done with me yet, but it's a different different avenue in research, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, the VA is a good place to start because you you certainly have a um, a population that tends to be underrepresented in clinical trials. Um, yes, I think that's you bring up a very good point. And one of the things I'm working on right now is actually increasing the recruitment of women into clinical trials through the VA because the the female veteran population is is lower than the male veteran population, but it is increasing. And so how do we increase recruitment? Because as you mentioned, if you don't have them included in the clinical trials, are the results really generalizable to them? Probably not. Uh, if you figure out ways to do that, I'd be very interested because it, it, it applies to all sorts of things. It's um, not just getting people into clinical trials. It's, it's uh, looking at underrepresented minorities and just trying to get them into positions like yours, into yes. healthcare a career into healthcare careers. What are the barriers into, you know, seeing themselves in various healthcare careers? Um, very interesting work that you're doing. Um, I don't have any other questions. I I will tell you that personally, I'm interested in what you're doing, and you should reach out to me anytime I think I that you think I might be able to help, because um, I think this is just this is where we're headed. If we're really going to make a difference in populations, we need to figure out how to approach them. Uh, the same approach doesn't work for everybody. So I want to thank you for your time. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Weinstein, for having me on today to discuss this study. And if anyone would like more information about the work that we do, you can go to crrogersphd.com and learn more information about all the studies that we, that we are working on. Well, thank you again, Ellen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.